0: Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Loopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, today I'm in Park City, Utah at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's uh, Elk Camp and Mountain Festival, I think it's called. Um, and I've been here, this is my third day here right now. A uh, lot going on here. Um, man. So much excitement, so much activity. It's, it's really fun, really interesting. One of the fun things is I've got to spend some time with one of our, I don't know if we can call him a regular guest, but probably the person who's been on our podcast more than anybody, uh, Shane Mahoney. And uh, Shane's going to be joining me in a minute. And uh, he's such a busy guy at these things. Uh, he and I are like ships in the dark. Just We see each other in passing last night. We actually got a chance to visit a little bit at an event. Uh, and we, we said uh, maybe we should make up for those last couple events where we weren't able to coordinate schedules and get on the podcast. So uh, Shane is so kind uh, of wanting to share... Uh, I'll call it an update on the Wild Harvest Initiative. If you don't know what the Wild Harvest initiative is. It's a project Shane's been working on for quite a few years now and is supported by a lot of nonprofit groups, a lot of state agencies, uh, some of the uh, hunting industry. And I'm going to summarize it. Shane will do a better job of describing it, but it's really his effort to try put a value on what the total consumed... Uh, <laughs> well, I guess first he's calculating how much uh, wild game, whether it's fish, fowl, birds, uh, game, uh, Americans and Canadians acquire, uh, he's got a factor of how many people that get shared with to get a total number of people affected by the, the I'll call it, um, food system. Um You know, a lot lot of worry these days about sustainable food systems, and uh, this is part of that. It it addresses many things, but what Shane's doing is accumulating all this data, both in terms of pounds, in terms of people, uh, and it might even be in tons when he's all done because there's so much of it, of fish, of game, of all all things that we uh, acquire while out hunting and angling. And then he's trying to give it some value uh, when you think about the fact that for years and years, none of us have ever put an actual economic value on what this super high quality, amazing, sustainable, free range protein is worth, uh, worth to us. Uh, uh, we we've always talked about what it's worth to us intrinsically and, and culturally, and and none of that is quantifiable. Uh, at least not when you get in these arguments where you're trying to convince policymakers to give priority to it, because they usually want to see the, the lowest common denominator, which is often. Uh, money or, or economic value. So it's a really ambitious project that Shane's working on and, and has been working on for a long time. And he's getting to the point, I think uh, he's going to give us an update, he's starting to get some of this humongous amount of data uh, in a manageable point where he's going to be able to share it with, with us. Um, then I want to talk about the North American model a little bit, uh, Shane Mahoney. And Val Geist, Uh, Val is a retired professor, uh, well, well well-respected in the wildlife community. And then John Organ, uh, those three guys kind of, put together the principle, or at least brought to writing and brought to accumulated thought 20, 25 years ago, that what we do in North America, our system really has some basic tenets, some basic principles, and they put together this thing called the North American model. It's not like they invented it. It, I mean... It's what we've been doing, but they actually brought it to a body of work to say, this is how we do it in North America. So uh, I want to get an update on that because he's uh, in the process, him and uh, Val Geist, Dr. Geist, have a book that's about ready to come out. That'll be a really cool uh, addition or update, whatever you're going to call it, to that. And then time, if time allows, hopefully we can get him to give a quick State of the Union, according to Shane Mahoney. (laughs) I don't don't know if he'll have much time. Our window of time, I'd guess, is about 40 to 50 minutes here. So anyhow, before we get on to to that and uh, Shane gets here... um, I want to quickly thank Loopold for being the title sponsor of this podcast. Uh, great company, great everything. They've, I mean, they have a huge presence here. Huge supporters of of the the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and this event that's going on with the Elk Foundation. And then uh, also we've got Orion Coolers. Use promo code Randy out there at orioncoolers.com com and save twenty percent. If it's as hot in your part of the world as it was here yesterday you want a great cooler uh and then we got onyx maps onyx is oh man we're getting ready to jump into a bunch of stuff with onyx maps right now uh some updates to e-scouting and and other stuff um go out there go to onyxmaps.com use promo code randy and save 20 percent on any app Purchases. I don't know how you could hunt in today's world without that Onyx app. I know I couldn't. I'm sure some people do, but for me, it would be really, really tough. And then also, uh, GoHunt.com, they have their insider program. You hear us talk about it all the time. Uh, You hear us bring it up in many of our YouTube videos and so many other things. Well, right now, they have a 30-day free trial that's going on. So if you want to see all the details, all the inner workings, Everything that you could possibly imagine about how we use the Go Hunt Insider System for all of our tag applications, draw odds, research, uh, filtering out bull-to-cow ratios, harvest percentages, percentage public lens, just so many things. I would encourage you to go out there right now and take advantage of this 30-day free trial, and here's how you do it. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash randy r-a-n-d-y and it'll land you on the page with the 30-day free trial and uh hopefully that that works for you uh, <laughs> nothing to lose and uh, i'm sure you like it so anyhow with that uh, i'm gonna get shane on the phone on the phone <laughs> on the microphone here and headset and we're gonna cover some of these topics so thanks for being here today well folks i told you that Our guest today was the most in-demand speaker podcast guest in all of the hunting conservation industry that I travel in, Shane Mahoney. Uh, Shane, thanks for taking the time again today. Uh, It's always fun, Randy. (laughs) Well, glad to be here. Yeah, well, (laughs) you've been on our podcast many times, and I will say that if I have a a request for who would you like to see on our podcast or hear on our podcast? You are always the, get, get the guy from Canada. Get Shane, get, 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 get that guy. He, he's, he's captivating the way he talks, the way he sees the world. So I'm thankful that that we're able to carve out a little time here at OutCamp. Well, uh, I'm grateful
1: to your customers, your listeners about this. Thanks. Yeah.
0: So uh, last night you gave a riveting presentation. Uh, I was watching the audience out there as you talked about, uh, your And you blend it so well with your wild harvest initiative that you've been working on and your view of the world of how much we and the rest of society have in common and how important we all are to each other rather than let's all divide into our own little camps yes. and, and try to solve problems that way. And so I guess if... If you're interested or if you've got a little time, uh, where's, where? How, w- at what point are you now with the Wild Harvest Initiative?
1: Well, we've made a tremendous progress on this uh, project. And as with, all, as with all ideas, you know, they, they're a bit like amoebas. Um, you, <laughs> you don't expect it, but they send out a pseudopod here and a pseudopod there. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're moving in slightly different channels and circles than you expected. Um, we have now compiled, uh, all of the hunting data from all 63 reporting jurisdictions in Canada and the United States. So every state, every province, every state, every province, uh, and some of the territories, there's one or two newly created territories that have not provided any information, but they don't have it to provide. So we have all there is, let yeah. me put it that way. Okay. Uh, we not only have it all, we have it all entered into, You know, a very sophisticated uh, database we have set up and uh, we are now able to interrogate that database, of course, to uh, come out with, you know, some of the earliest numbers, uh, the the full list of species that we harvest uh, by jurisdiction, the numbers of each species in each jurisdiction that's harvested. We have determined from the literature all the body weights for all of those species using average weights. We've determined the dressed weights that are available in the literature and other reports. We have determined uh, a consumable weight which is down from the dressed weights. So we're trying to be very conservative so nobody can criticize us for trying to hype this up in any way. Um, So we now know uh, the total numbers of animals and we now know the total biomass. We now know right down... To the number of meals that this is uh, currently providing. In addition to that, uh, we now have in our possession all of the recreational fishing data for Canada and the United States, both freshwater and marine recreational fishing data from Gulf states and yeah. so on, Pacific states and you know so on. And um, we uh, we are now we now have all of the Canadian uh, data already entered in the database and we are currently working feverishly to load the large amount of uh, information that we have on fishing from the United States. Our hope is that by Christmas, if not before, we will have all of that in the database as well. In addition to that, we have uh, completed the first um, shearing index survey, and I mentioned this in one of our earlier discussions, Randy. Yeah. Um, I really want to find out how many people in Canada and the United States actually consume wild meat. Um, you know, we make a, a great deal of noise about you know the amount of money that the hunting and angling community provide, rightfully so, through things like the Pittman-Robertson fund funding mechanism and the mm-hmm. Wallop Row, Dingle Johnson on the fishing side. Yeah, and they roughly come in at you know about six billion each has been raised for conservation. So, rightfully so that we emphasise these things. Yeah, and what we pay for our hunting and fishing licences, but that's the value of hunting. I'm interested in the value of wildlife. So,
0: uh, <laughs> so they, I hope people stop and think about that. Yeah. You're talking about how to put a value on this important component to what we love, the wildlife Absolutely. and its presence. Yeah, that's the very basis of it. So if you if you you can think about it
1: as this as the other face of the coin, if you will. And we've done a lot with the first face, you know, which you know, it's talking about what we've done as conservationists in, this, in the hunting community, but we've really never done anything, and I mean anything, about trying to actually put a value on that wildlife. And I'm going to put a food value on that wildlife because I think a food value matters to people. They understand it. They can relate to it. Um, and so we have now uh, collected... Uh, you know all of these sort of standard uh, prices for beef pork you know chicken turkey mm. that kind of thing that uh, are sold across canada and the united states through nielsen ratings and other things so we are very close now to coming up with our sort of first kind of rough uh, estimate of what the value would be mm. i can assure you that it will be in the many billions of dollars really um yes and um um, and that, of course, does not even include the fish. So you can imagine where it will go after we include fish. So we and what we will do, though, that's a minimum because we're just using sort of the standard average prices. But as you know, if you go into a restaurant and eat even farmed venison, for example. You pay a lot an awful lot more for that meat than you I pay for him yeah so we are going to work with economists now to say, okay, let's say we had this quality of a product in the marketplace what would it be worth so we're getting very close to being able to come out with um, with those numbers but coming back to this sharing index, I really want to know how many people consume the meat and my argument there is not, you know, all these people are dependent on this or, you know, they will starve if they don't have it. The reason I want to do that is I want to emphasize the fact of how much hunters share with people. And with disadvantaged people in some cases, obviously, we know lots of programs like that, Mm -hmm. but also just with their families and their friends and their colleagues. Mm -hmm. It may just be a part of, you know, elk chili that someone brings to their office and four or five people in the office who may not hunt share in that i mean i think this is the this is the kind of connection building that's absolutely critical uh, for the future of hunting and i want to put numbers around this and my estimate is that um, you know the you know the the 40 million hunters and anglers in canada and the united states probably share, you know, that food with another 200 million or more people. Whew. And think about ah. it, man, it's very easy. You know, you, you, you to take an elk, let's say you come home, you have your family, yep. then you have some friends. And Neighbors. It, it, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just think it, we're probably being uh, conservative there as well. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, out of a population of human beings of 360 million between Canada and the United States, you know, we may see... The market network, if you will, which is how business people would look at a product, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, of reaching potentially, you know, 250 million or more people. Wow! So we've completed the first survey in Texas, and uh, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Division were incredibly helpful with with this, and we are analyzing these statistics. And the very likely next state in which this will take place will probably be Nevada, then Arizona. Uh, and hopefully Florida. And we'll do it in a series of different states and provinces to get a picture North America-wide. And then we will be able to empirically, it's not just Shane talking off the top of his head, but it will be really, truly measured, you know, how many people are are sharing in this. So in the late August, we are bringing together the 35 partners who are now currently in support of this. And, you know... uh, it's going to be quite a meeting to be held in little St. John's Newfoundland
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: because you're going to have uh, you know you're going to have Sitka and you're going to have the Wild Sheep Foundation you're going to have the Elk Foundation you're going to have Dallas Safari Club Foundation you're going to have uh, you know the, the Wildlife Agency Government Agency from Arizona from Nevada from uh, from Texas and from uh, Florida uh, <laughs> Quality Deer Management Association the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance Whitetails Unlimited I mean the list just goes on and on, and uh, uh, they are all you know going to be gathered. and in that meeting, uh, which will take place over three days, we will present to them that they'll be the first to see the new findings that are coming out of it. Um, and we will be presenting them you know where the idea came from and how it has expanded because it was very difficult for me to give people, the full vision of what I had in mind with this at the beginning, Randy. Mm -hmm. It it would have seemed, you know, just too fanciful, really. Um, But we are um, building now already uh, the models to include uh, the fruit and wild berry gathering, the mushroom gathering, uh, the medicinal plant gathering, the wild rice gathering, uh, the shed antler gathering... Right? And the whole idea, you can see it, right? The whole idea is to bring this kind of news to the world that in these very wealthy, highly technolog- technological societies, uh, democratic societies, you know, we still have a huge number of people who harvest from the natural world. And somehow, governments everywhere have been able to largely ignore. The significance of that harvesting of natural products in their decisions around land use policy, and I want that to change. Yeah, and yeah, I want to be able to tell them. I want when Randy Newberg talks to somebody about, uh, you know, uh, an elected official about the value of that land, he no longer has to just express his own spiritual and personal, you know, engagement with it. Mm -hmm. He's able to talk about, well, it just so happens that, you know, it's it's not just 40 million hunters and anglers. It's another, you know, 50 million berry pickers and, you know, fruit pickers and nut pickers and Mm. uh, mushroom pickers and all this kind of thing. And, you know, when you put it together, what we really have is a community of people who have chosen to spend part of their lives in, still in pursuit of their food from wild sources. Yeah, And that's a beautiful thing.
0: That, that is remarkable. When you, you know. think about how our society continues to expand and expand mm-hmm. and expand, yet we still have kept ourselves, at least a lot of us connected to that natural process of this landscape provides us something we need, yep. food or whatever else. And that we value yes. because of the quality it provides. Like yep. in the presentation that you did yesterday, it's, you spoke of, well, look, this is natural. And, and one of the striking things to me was you showed somebody getting ready to give a vaccination to a domestic animal. Yep. And I, it, it, it was just a very striking image for me of, yep. yeah, I everything that crosses my table that is that pretty much all of its wild harvested I'm, I'm exempting myself from all of those complications, and my process of being involved help, hopefully helps contribute to nurturing and expanding and, and conserving yep. that that process. It's, uh, it, it's so remarkable. I remember when you first started with this, Shane, I was, I've was, i known you for a long time. And so I was really excited. Uh, it did not seem fanciful to me at all. Because uh, <laughs> <Well, laughs> I, I, I knew your background, I knew your talents. And I, I knew that if anybody was going to be able to paint this big picture of quantifying and giving us value and giving us uh, connection that, maybe the rest of society would understand. Uh, I, I, I'd be happy to put my money on Shane Mahoney getting it done. Well, I, I'm grateful for the faith, and I won't let you down.
1: Um, one of the other... Uh, we've had our first master student graduate uh, uh, studying an aspect of this too, and we're just submitting our first uh, paper for publication on it, so we're mm-hmm. keeping alive that academic side of things. And, you know, the partnership continues to grow, um, the National Wildlife Federation is the last uh, or the most recent, uh, very big uh, party to join uh, with the uh, with uh, the alliance, as we're calling it. And as I'm here now with the Elk Foundation event in Park City, Utah, there are quite a number of organizations that have heard me that are coming up and saying we now would like to be a part of this as well. You know, so it has a certain amount of uh, snowball effect right yeah. now. The other really interesting thing that I, I want to um, let your listeners know about with respect to this. And this is the sort of amoebic thing that I wasn't so expecting. You know, I have been a proponent as sort of an evangelist in some ways for the North American model for a long time, as you yeah. know. Yeah. And, um, I kind of feel that while there's a lot more to be done in North America, there is enough people now who are knowledgeable about it themselves. Um, you know, that they are able to take this message and, I, about four or five years ago, began to set my sights on the international community about this yep. because uh, it was very clear to me, even from the connections I had then, that um, the, the, you know Euro- Europeans, uh, Africans, South Americans, uh, people in Asia, who themselves were searching in many cases for good conservation models that included the use of nature, were completely unaware. I mean, so unaware that it's rather... Uh, startling um and so i had i felt like i felt in 1993 when i spoke for the first time about the north american model in the united states uh there was nobody in the audience who had ever heard that term Mm -hmm. and uh it was a very new term and geist had only come out with it a year before so and um and I, i so for the last five to six years i've been working on this internationally and i've been making headway and of course I now have a number of uh, senior appointments at the IUCN and also at the CIC, which is the International Council for the Conservation of Wildlife. And that has allowed me, of course, into a lot of discussions and boardrooms and so on, where I've been introducing the model and speaking at their conferences and so on. Well, it turns out that a major preoccupation for organizations like the World Conservation Union, the Federation of Agricultural Organizations of the United Nations, the major center for forestry research all over the world in the Congo, Amazon, all those regions. Uh, CITES, the uh, Convention on the International Trade in Endangered Species, uh, the Convention on Biodiversity, the Convention on Migratory Species. It just so happens that all of them have buried within their complicated, um, uh, you know, information sources. Uh, a commitment to understanding better the role of the sustainable use of wildlife and conservation. And this has afforded me an enormous opportunity to talk about the North American approach that we have, sort of not pushing my way in, but at their request, because now they're interested in this. Uh, all
0: the better.
1: Yes, and and, uh, one of the other things that's happened is a major emphasis for those international organizations working in those parts of the world is food security. Mm. So they have launched major studies of uh, wild meat harvests in the Congo and the Amazon and places, largely because large numbers of indigenous people still rely on the food, of course, every day, uh, but also because there is now becoming a market for that as populations expand and the wildlife is being destroyed. It's just being For the workers. Yeah. Oh. And of course, I now am in a position to be able to remind them hold on, this may be a 21st century reality for the Congo and the Amazon and other parts of the world, but it was a early 20th century reality for the United States and Canada. Yeah. Absolutely no right. different. But we came out of it. We, we came out of it. Now, our model may not be perfectly suited to you, but you should at least understand that these are some of the mechanisms we used to come out of that. So now, as a result of all that, they now want... <laughs> The wild harvest initiative to be part of all of that because i now have the largest database in the temperate world on the harvest of wild animals under a model that is yep. based on the framework of canada and the united absolutely. States. absolutely and we wouldn't even be able to compile this data randy except for that model yeah and the institutions are put in place because when you get your license your name is recorded if you get an elk your name is recorded if you don't you, you, you yep. put in a return we wouldn't even be able to compile, obviously, this database, except for the hundred years of institutional record-keeping and all of that that goes along that are part of our state agency programs.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine how daunting and sometimes overwhelming that project must seem, but if I can give you any... Uh, uh, Smile to your day. Uh, When I see it and I I see your presentation last night and you and I have a chance to visit like we did last night or at other times, it gives me so much optimism about where we're at with this message and with how we as the hunting, angling, gathering community are starting to be looked at even by people who... Uh, maybe don't participate in what we do as, wow, oh, these these are people focused on health and sustainability and and the quality of their food. and And it becomes such an easy message yeah. to convey rather than when I used to have this paradigm of, oh, I'm always, my activity, my lifestyle, the way I procure my food is under attack, under attack. And you develop a little bit of this bunker mentality of sure everybody's the enemy who who's yeah. coming after me now and the way the information you've provided in the way it's been presented uh i hope it it gives you uh like i said a smile to know that people like me and others really get optimistic about what the future is because of that
1: well i'm that's fantastic to hear because um as i tried to explain last night in the talk you know there's certain times when various processes of change like small rivulets eventually come to form a river of change and when it's just individual rivulets you you might be able to dam them block them you may be able to change their course fairly easily with a pick and a shovel but when you got a big river when you got a mississippi on your hands <laughs> you know, you're going to have to figure out a way to ride with that And I think that's where we are with regard to the changes in society. There is definitely a growing empathy for animals worldwide. There is, however, uh, uh, also a growing, uh, slightly growing community that have taken that to the idea that we shouldn't use animals at all or kill animals in any way. Um, But there's, as I said last night, there are a whole series of changes embedded in that big river now That if you are able to recognize them and tease them out, you begin to realize that they are entirely in our favor. And they're in our favor in a way that they weren't 25, 30, 40 years ago. And that is this worldwide uh, focus on fitness and health and lifestyle and quality food. Uh, The global concerns that people have for the quality of food that they are eating and the concerns about diseases that come, you know, in part or are worsened or exacerbated by many of the additives, you know, that we, we take in our bodies every day. I mean, you just think about the number of things that inevitably we, we take in, right. right? I mean, you read the package of anything, right? I mean, and so, you know, you think about all of that stuff and people are concerned about this. They are, they are concerned about their their bodies, and you know, staying in shape, and they're worried about obesity. They're worried about, you know, they they know the risks of being overweight. They, you know, so there is this really phenomenal uh, global rise in those concerns. And of course, I don't have to tell any of your listeners that food has just become, in a strange way. Just a massive preoccupation of people,
0: right? It has. Yeah, the chefs, are, <laughs> chefs are the superstars. So, right, they're the Michael Jordans. No, of I'm the telling world. you. It, yeah. it's,
1: I mean, how did this happen? But anyway, it, it has happened. And so that also uh, is really important to us because, you know, in the main, you know, the vast, vast majority of all the hunting that's been done in North America uh, since the model's inception and even its early origins has, and even before to some extent, was about consuming the animal. Right. It wasn't the only motivation. That's not my point, but right. we were consuming it. On top of that, you know, all of these things, you know, a group of people or you yourself on your own go out and spend a day in nature. You might fly fishing, you might not be doing anything. You might be just, you know, I spent a lot of time just following animals for my research. I, I wasn't hunting them and I wasn't, you know, fishing. I wasn't doing anything except being out there with them. But you, you know how you feel after a day, particularly of exercising out in nature. Yes. And it's not even the same as exercising in a gym. There's not a at all. world of difference, yes. right? Well, we all know this. And you come back and you say to your friends or your family, oh, what a day. It was just gorgeous out there. I saw this. I saw that. And I saw the other thing. Nobody has to tell you at the individual level that that day was good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it. It. you know, it's good yeah. for you. Yeah. but what's happening now is medical research is really starting to catch up with this information. They're really starting to do a lot of detailed research, you know, you know, having people strapped up with various measuring devices, blood pressure, heart rate, these kinds of things, and really trying to measure what those experiences are giving us. And there's just an irrefutable amount of evidence now that that I feel good statement is actually the result of your body reacting to those experiences. So here we have all of those trends coming together and here we are, you know, the people who wish to spend time in the outdoors and who spend a really, what I would call, energetic time in the outdoors because hunting is a very active <laughs> yes. kind of... Uh, not ing- sedentary. Ing- yeah. And we are the ones that are bringing back all of this wild food, and of course, most of us who hunt, we also pick berries, and we also, you know, we we do all those things too, right? Um, And the third thing I think that's really kind of as a communication uh, aspect and benefit to us, we're living even here in the United States and Canada in a world where people are also becoming more concerned about the stability of the world and in my personal view i think they have every right to be i travel the world a great deal now and i i am deeply concerned about what i see taking place in various parts of the world and we have had a long time between major wars uh, a very unusually long period of time and people more so in some areas than others are developing a real sense of a real sensitivity to this And that makes them more desirable of the sort of foundational good things about quieter lives, about ordinary lives, you know. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we've always admired in every culture around the world, from the most indigenous still uh, hunter-gatherer societies that are left all the way up to the most, you know, technological and wealthy countries, we admire people who share. Yeah. We, we all do. We always admire people who give things, right? You know, <laughs> right. And uh, we have such a tradition in the wild harvest n- network, whether we're harvesting berries or fruits or wild fish or wild game, whatever it is, of sharing. And we have big plans in this project, in the communication side of it, to develop messages and images and communications that emphasize this whole idea of sharing. And of course, with this sharing index, I'm going to have the numbers to back up those statements, Randy.. Yeah. So all of this is uh, all of this is being worked on. So when the team meets and the Alliance meets in St. John's at the end of uh, August, they're going to see a lot of new things, including the fact that the Convention on Biodiversity uh, is now um, you know, I, I spoke at Cambridge just uh, two weeks ago about this to the gathering there from the Convention on Biodiversity. Uh, I'll be speaking at the CITES Convention by their invitation in Geneva in two weeks' time about this. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been invited to French Guyana to help set up programs there. The South African people, the people in Namibia are very interested about this. We have a European partner who uh, now is interested in asking me if I would expand this program potentially into Europe. Um, And and it all goes back to your comments in the beginning, Randy, that... um, See, there's nothing threatening here. Yeah. It threatens nobody. And one day, I hope, we will see, you know, ranchers and, and farmers and and hunters and wild food gatherers. And, and I'm talking in those communities of those people who who care for their animals appropriately, who are interested in the outdoors, who are interested in the environment. And there's tons of them, Randy. Oh, yeah. We, we hear the horror stories,
0: of exactly. course. Exactly. We, we never right. hear the... The wide band of the of the middle, no. who all share the same yeah. concerns.
1: I was did. stopped uh, just this morning as I went into the restaurant to get a coffee by a gentleman. And He said, "I'm a dairy farmer," and he said, uh, "I just couldn't get over you know your your talk last night." And you know we went on to talk to him about a, a whole variety of things. And he talked about his animals and how he names them all and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I was just in a big debate with people about hunters, frankly, who are, you know, criticizing people, you know, who, who talk about, you know, who are opposed to hunting and talk, give animals names and and uh, sort of criticize these people because they're opposed to hunting and then criticize them because they give their animals names. And I said to them, so what do you call your dog? It?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, as I say, sometimes it's so ridiculous, Randy, right. right? You know? Yeah. I mean, there are legitimate differences of opinion, but, you know, to attack people just because they want to refer to an animal by their name. Every animal I've ever, ever had in my company, I named, yeah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and it probably would have been the greatest joy in my life if one day my dog or cat looked up at me and said, hey, Shane, <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> not likely to happen.
0: But anyway, it's, it's, it's
1: growing. It's going really well, Randy, and it's Good. growing. So I appreciate the chance to share it with the listeners.
0: Well, uh, we're... Quickly, before we jump onto to another topic that you kind of touched on, is is there a place where the listeners can help? Is there a newsletter they can get updates to, or is there a website they can go to? or
1: What's going to happen uh, at the meeting, we'll be releasing a, a brand new platform, a web platform that will be mm-hmm. dedicated totally to the wild harvest and wild harvest issues. Um, there, all of our partners and so on will have their own pages listed of things we'll be doing and we'll be mm-hmm. making it a storehouse for this kind of information Okay, and we really are trying to find a way to make it very interactive and uh, that will form part of the further discussions at our meeting you know we would, we would what we're hoping for is that because we'll have these enormous actual databases you know we'll actually have the numbers and all these kinds of things mm-hmm. that we will have interest from uh, a wide range of people in society who are interested in the numbers, such as academics or journalists or things of this nature. But we're also going to have sections there that will deal with wild food generally, and not just with meat and fish and so on, but we're going to be talking about the full spectrum of foods. And uh, we're hoping then that people will you know, share their stories. We're going to have live platforms there for that to happen. I'm giving some serious consideration to setting up a special podcast on this, Randy, mm-hmm. but I'm so busy, I don't know. <laughs> you are. I, I,
0: I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know I, I don't,
1: how you do what you do. I, I don't know where I fit it, but I think it would be a great thing to be able to do, yeah. obviously. Um,
0: well, when, and, when and, those uh, platforms are available, I hope yep. you'll reach out to people like Absolutely. me so we can share with our audience Absolutely. where they can come and, oh, of course. and help support you and what you're doing.
1: Well, the whole hope here is, um, and that's why with this alliance, everybody who's in this alliance who's supporting the effort right now, if you look at, you know, from Bass Pro to Sitka to the National Wildlife Federation to Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and Wild Sheep and those state agencies, we currently figure we have reached to about 15 to 20 million people. Wow. Now, I don't know of any other organization that can claim that so our hope is that we will start to produce product and that will go out through that network and then of course uh, other networks like yours uh we want that information to flow out through them as well yeah. it will sort of radiate out from this from conservation visions right out to the partnership that's the kind of model at least we're working on righty yeah. uh we're taking advice from a big company that we've um, hired to sort of help us with all of this um and you know that will be an evolving process too but we have plans for films and we have plans for uh, events and
0: uh, a lot of things around it you know so. well i am just going to tell the audience when that becomes available uh, i will use my platform to their <laughs> highest leverage to well. uh, to make sure that, that they know where to find it thank um, you very much for that right. A lot of people, uh, and I'm going to kind of pivot here to the North American model. Uh, when I first heard the term, uh, I was on the board of directors of a hunting group, and that's when I first became aware of you. And you and Valgeist and John Organ had worked on this project of kind of putting together what I. I'd heard the term North American model, but in my head, I'm like, well, what, what, what is that really? Uh, back, I don't know when it was, ninety five, ninety six. I think is when I first saw it laid out in here's the general principles, mm-hmm. here's the seven yep. tenets of it. And now I know that you and Val yep. uh, have a new book coming out. We do. About that. Can you expand yep. on what that is? Yeah, uh, this is the first book, um, first book ever
1: dedicated exclusively to the North American model, um, which seems a little strange given the, you know, its currency and its in dialogue and communication. And of course, it has its critics too, you know? right. so it, it has a certain amount of uh, tension around it, I suppose. Um, it took us a, a, a long time to take it from an idea and embed it in the way it does so that even you and I can sit down today and we know what we mean when we say the model. I mean, that was no small task, get that, right? (laughs) And now it's common parlance, it's common speak. State agencies use it, organizations use it, you find it in documents. So um, we thought it was time uh, to look at this and in a a really meaningful way. Johns Hopkins University Press and the Wildlife Society have a long-standing book series uh, that it it was perfectly adapted to. because um, we're hoping to really influence the, the academic, the graduate students, uh, the new recruit into the profession and the professionals in the profession as well as the general public. But we want to really impact the professional movement because in the end that determines what the policies and laws and regulations are, of course. Right. So this is an edited volume. We have about... Uh, 25 writers, I guess, contributing. John Organ is one. Uh, there's a great many uh, others who are in there. And Geist and I served as the editors, and we both write uh, a number of chapters in the book as well. Mm-hmm. It will be released in August of this year, and, uh, or uh, it will be first out in August. There will actually be a release of the book at the Wildlife Society meeting in the first week of October. Okay. Okay. And uh, from there, of course, we hope that it will get some reasonable circulation because, you know, between that book um, and the two monographs that I've completed uh, a few years ago on the role of hunting in North American conservation, which stuck specifically to the hunting role, um, you know, a new student starting out can really put that book and those two small uh, monographs you know, in their hand, really, or under their arm. And they really have uh, pretty much everything they need, frankly, to understand why things are as they are and how they came to be. Uh, as well as I have been fairly critical in my uh, in some of my chapters about the things that I think we missed in the model. Oh, okay. Uh, as well as um, there's a fairly strong chapter in their... Uh, Gordon Hewitt and other people at the Caesar Kleberg Institute wrote that chapter on you know the challenges uh, to uh, to the North American model, where we where we think it may be going, you know what we think we have to do to protect it. So hmm. it's a big uh, it's a big deal, and it shows that the model, you know, and that term of course was was first coined by Valerius Geist. I took it upon myself to become the uh, sort of the evangelist and <laughs> and <for> the <it. laughs> Uh and uh, so. Um, and I and many others eventually, of course, did likewise. Um, but it, when we started, when he and I first talked about it, um, it was a very simple thing. It was much like the wild harvest uh, to me. Here was a great idea, and unless it was moved with a tremendous amount of energy, uh, it would just be a term that would have been in a paper and would have been lost. Mm-hmm. And I argue today that because that did not happen, because without money and without support and without any kind of organizational structure and on, certainly in my case, on all uh, annual leave time, that's how I did all the work I did, um, You know, we would simply not have that model being discussed today. It would have been long forgotten about. And a lot of the arguments that have been put up in defense of hunting and angling, in legislatures and in forums and in debates and so on and so forth would never have had the same strength. But when people saw that there was actually a rigorous system of laws and policies and institutions and knowledge that was behind this, I think their arguments
0: carried a great deal more weight. Certainly. Yeah. I really think it made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you and I get invited to a lot of those conferences. We were, you and I were at that one in Bozeman in November and it was a frank discussion about the model and where are the weaknesses or where does the model have its opportunities going forward to expand and where do we have to think about some of these things? And I'll admit that sitting in conferences, listening to critics of the model is a little bit hard for me to not want to raise my hand and say wait a second yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. no it's true but without having that uh body of work that you and Val and others have have put in for decades now it would have been very hard to have discussions absolutely to have a critical analysis of where is it and what's its validity today today and i think most people have concluded you know it still is the valid stru- structure for today. Well, I don't right. think there's any doubt about that. I
1: mean, I think we, we, we have to accept that there comes time when you have to reflect and you have to change. I personally believe that, um, you know, this wild harvest approach, I'm not saying my program because there can be many programs, but this approach is probably, um, this is not a right turn. This is just a slight, you know, reorientation of the model in my view and reorienting in particular a way of explaining it and also answering one of the criticisms that are legit, that is legitimate which is making it more inclusive mm-hmm. and this wild harvest initiative is all about that yeah. so you know when you see the products that are coming out of this you'll see collages of photographs that They'll include berry pickers and bikers and bird watchers and and farmers and ranchers and so on. And yes, there'll be images of hunters and anglers, but they'll be part of that collage of imagery. Mm -hmm. And I think um, one thing that we did too much of was to try to exceptionalize hunting. And as I said to many people, David Allen and other people that we both know, know, my objective here with the Wild Harvest Initiative is to tone it down and simply to re-normalize it, normalize it rather than that, yeah.
0: sensationalize that's, it. That's that's
1: where it needs to be. You know, people yeah. need to be living on the street and say, yeah, uh, oh that fellow over there with the black car. That's yeah, that's a uh, you know a friend of mine, Randy Newberg. Yeah, he does this, he does that, and I, he's a hunter too. You know, he 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 uh, comes over, brings me over some food. You know, like that. It needs to be that casual. Yeah, right? that, Then we will have made it."
0: Right, right. Well, one of the th- images, I, I keep going back to your presentation last night, is you talked about maple syrup yep. and the harvest of syrup. I know very few Americans who, when they have their breakfast sometime during the week, yeah. who do not use maple syrup. Yeah. And you think about that as a naturally harvested oh, product yeah. dependent upon clean air, a stable oh, climate, totally. clean water, healthful landscape. Totally. Uh, if there's entry points for people to understand the perspective we have, uh, and, and I, that almost sounds like divisive, but uh, I'm going to say it that way. Mm-hmm. It's it's these kind of things that sure. are very normal. Sure. Uh, and through not a connection of too many dots, you go from harvesting maple syrup to harvesting wild rice to eating a panfish out of the lake to shooting a grouse or a rabbit. Yes, exactly. And all of it is the consumption of something we need, high-quality, sustainable food. Totally. But you see, think about that story that
1: you've just told there as you've laid it out, and think about how different the story about hunting has been told in the past. Right. And this is what I mean about, you know, I have uh, serious partners in this Wild Harvest Alliance who lead state agencies, and amongst them, there are a number who say that this, this wild harvest initiative, this idea
0: um, is the last best chance. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I'm you you <laughs> I'm standing in that same yeah. line. Yeah. I, I think about my own interactions with people. Uh, well, coming up the elevator the other day, Corey Jacobson and I, I have my podcast kit on it. It has all of my partners who I work with and a gal from not our country. She said, do you kill animals with that? And we were explaining, no, it's a podcast kit. Well, I had to get off the first floor, and Corey went up with. Uh, they both got off on the next floor, and so the next morning, I asked Corey, said, what, "Where was that discussion going?" He said, "Well, I just told her, no, we, we, we you know, for us, we, we go on. This is part of how we get food." And it was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Uh, so even someone from a completely different language and culture. It was like, oh, it's food. Oh, yeah. Food (laughs) is the universal thing. I don't know why
1: it took me so long uh, in doing so much thinking about all of this, why why it never occurred to me before. But um, anyway.
0: It's It's where we are. It's where we are. Exactly. Uh, Well, I've kept you a long time, Shane. Uh, I promised you that uh, I would not keep you any longer than... The, I know you have your next uh, appointment here in high demand here in, in Park City. Uh, we got a few minutes. Uh there anything you... If if I were to say the five-minute Shane Mahoney State of the Union, what my listeners hopefully take from what they're seeing and hearing today or, or from this conversation, you got any last bits you'd want to add? Yeah, I, I do, actually.
1: I mean, I think... Um I'm tremendously uh, optimistic that um, if we can, from diverse points of view... um, All of those people who engage in the harvest of wildlife and wild products... And also the people who raise under good conditions, you know... With good treatment, animals for our consumption... People, ranchers and farmers and so on... um, I think it is possible for us to forge uh, another movement in North America. And I'm am convinced that the original movement that we had, that Roosevelt and others formed, I am convinced that, it is, that that movement is losing a certain element of energy and drive. And while many of the principles within it will be carried forward, And many of them are being given new opportunities because of these trends in society that we've talked about—millennials becoming hunters, uh, you know, um, Zuckerberg, you know, becoming a hunter. These (laughs) kinds of phenomena. I also believe that we should not miss the fact that this is really is taking us somewhat in a new direction, and that new direction, uh, I think, will hopefully be a more inclusive. And because it's more inclusive, I think it will be more resilient, uh, a stronger conservation movement that has the sustainable use of nature as one of its absolutely key components. Um, I think going forward, we have a real chance to forge this now. We could inevitably end up with fewer hunters in this country and in Canada, Andy, that's probably going to happen. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that hunting is going to go away. And it doesn't mean that hunting and angling can't remain major forces in in that community, that network community that I'm trying to create to ensure that wildlife and wild places are protected. You know, it's not just about numbers, whether we have 40 million or we got 10 million or mm-hmm. whatever. It's about what those people that are there do that make the difference. Yeah. You know, if you look at the 11 and a half million, whatever it is of hunters in the United States today, how many of them are really active in conservation in the way, let's say, that Randy Newberg is? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, not enough, uh, so I want to find all those people out there with medicinal plants and berries and fruits and mushrooms and shed antlers and maple syrup and wild rices and Christmas trees and firewood and uh, game, uh, you know, deer and waterfowl and you know, bluegills and you know, uh, brook trout and whatever. I want to find that community and find a way for them to talk to one another. Yeah. And that's a big, powerful community. And I'll tell you something. I think that community will have conversations amongst themselves that will make them feel really good about what they do. And I also believe that the conversations that they have amongst themselves, they can just as easily have with other people, because other people will not be opposed to
0: what they do and the way they do things. Yeah, That's my vision. I share it. And uh, if you could have seen the smile on my face when I came up to my room last night about uh, optimism is is the best word I can give you. You may not realize it, but your message and the way you've provided it and connected the dots. uh, Anyone who is a hunter, I think is going to be very optimistic when they hear from you and see the work you're doing and, and realizes it's just a little bit of an awareness. We, we get so busy in our daily lives, we can start down a path. And in what we consume in messages, we, we kind of find what fits maybe our, our fear of that day or our, mm-hmm. yeah. our, our concern. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, it's good to just stand on the rock and look around and say, wait a second here. And that's what I felt I was doing last night. And I need, I need a dose of Shane Mahoney about it. <laughs> about every six months. And I'm so thankful we're at all these conferences together because nothing makes me more optimistic than to hear and see and talk with you about these kind of things, because you've seen it, you've done it. You see the, the you, I don't travel to the rest of this amazing planet like you do. I don't yep. interact with so many cultures like you do. And so when, you express that, you know, we're all so similar. We yeah. have so many similarities. It's, really it's true. like, you know what? We're making this problem a lot harder than it is. It's going to yeah. be a hard problem to, to solve and to keep uh, our eye on the ball, but it's not as hard as we want to make it. No, I think that's true. And I think that's why last night I opened up by saying,
1: you know, tonight I want to talk about all those trends in society that are with us. Yeah. Let's not forget this, yeah. right? anyway Randy I'm going to to have to run yes thanks very much for having me on always a pleasure always thank you